So, <clears throat> yesterday, you know, being a parent is fun. <laughs> I love it. But it is a challenge, especially when you have a strong-willed child. Anybody that's a parent ever have a strong-willed child? I don't think I was a strong-willed child, but I'm going to tell you, Josiah. And Now, Elijah, you just look at him wrong, and he falls in line. And actually, we figured out he thrives on positive feedback. You give him just a little bit of encouragement, and it goes a really long way with him. Josiah, on the other hand, he just marches to the beat of his own drummer. He, he just all the time. And for the most part, that's okay. But there are times when that causes problems. And, you know, there, I mean, even to the point where at times we worry about his safety because he won't even follow some of the rules that are just necessary to be safe. Just trying to give you a picture, an idea. And so we're still wrestling, trying to figure out how to do this thing and definitely believe in teaching our children about consequences. But we want the consequences to be natural consequences. So in other words, sometimes going to timeout or whatever, there's no connection between what they did and the consequence. Does that make sense? Like if they won't wear their coat to school and you allow them to make that choice and they can't go out to recess because it's too cold, or they go out to recess and freeze, and you pray they don't call social services because you sent your child to school without a coat. That's teaching natural consequences. Does that make sense? Yes? You, you get what I, where I'm going with that? And so yesterday, we had a beautiful opportunity. Because I had promised the boys that we would take them to a movie. We, we had gone to the movies earlier in the week, Julie and I, and I saw there was all kinds of kids shows out. And so I thought, yeah, this weekend we're going to do family thing. We're going to take the kids to a movie. And so I laid out, what movie would you guys like to go see? And there was three or four choices they had, and they picked Despicable Me 3 right off the bat. We want to go see the Minions. We want to go see Despicable Me 3. So I'm like, okay. Uh, so we'll do it this weekend. I promise. Two words a parent should never say to a child. I promise, right? And so we're all excited. We're going to go. And so Saturday we get up. We're planning on going Saturday morning. We have a party in the afternoon. So we, we have to make the morning showing. And I go out to the website. And lo and behold, you know, those movie theaters, they change movies on Friday night. And I forgot about this. And so I guess the kids are back in school now. So that phase has come to an end. So now there's like all these horror movies and all the, all the R-rated movies come out apparently when, when kids go back into school, right? And so, you know, they're all gone. <laughs> Including Despicable Me 3, right? The only one that was left was the Emoji movie. And I'm like, I, I ain't, I ain't doing the Emoji movie. I don't care what the kids want. I just, I don't know. But anyways. So I thought, well, I'll look in Springs. So I look, and sure enough, the Tinseltown in Colorado Springs on the south end is showing uh, the Minion movie, the Despicable Me 3. But it's, sh- but it's showing like at 940, and it's like 830 or something. And so it's like, no problem. We're, we're up, we're dressed, we're ready to go, but the kids aren't. So we start telling them, you guys got to get dressed. Well, Josiah's got to go check on his lizards and his snails and whatever else that he's collecting. And we keep telling him, you got, you know... And we don't finally get him out the door. I don't know what we were thinking. We didn't finally get him out the door. Movie starts at 940, and it's like 8 after 9 when we're pulling out of our yard to head up to Springs. So we put it in the GPS, and the GPS says we're not going to be there till like uh, 1020, right? Because so, we thought, well, you know, they show previews or whatever. But 1020, I mean, you're pretty well into the movie by then. So... We have to break the news to the kids that we can't take them to Despicable Me 3. Well, but Daddy, you promised. You promised us we would get to go see this. And, yeah, but, but oh, what a beautiful opportunity to teach them consequences, right? And so I said, yeah, but Josiah, the reason we didn't get to go was because you would not get ready when we told you to get ready. If you would have been ready when we told you to, 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 to be ready, then this would all... Be okay. And so now Elijah's mad at him, my older son. 
So he just falls apart and starts crying, right? It's just like the burden of the guilt and the shame is just too much for him, for him to handle. And, and, you know, they go to the Christian school out here. We're very, very pleased with the public Christian academy out here and the job they've done with our children. And so we take them to school out here and, and they did the Adam and Eve story this week in their Bible lesson. And, Josiah just blurts out, just with, as angry and just in despair, and he says, the devil made me do it. <laughs> the devil is the reason I didn't get ready. I hate the devil. <laughs> uh, his mom turns to him and says, no, Josiah, the devil did not make you do it. I mean, like, how do you teach him personal responsibility when they don't take it? <laughs> But we're all kind of like that, aren't we? We're all kind of like that. So let's look at the Adam and Eve story from the book of Genesis one more time. I know we do this a lot, but I want to kind of take a different look at it this morning. And I'm going to challenge, uh, of course, some traditional thinking. But I can assure you that I'm being biblical in my thinking, in my thought process. But let's go ahead and read the story. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. In the original language, the serpent was wiser than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you? Notice that. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here to be with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And I'm going to keep reading. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate it. The devil did it. <laughs> and then he goes on and talks to the devil. So I suppose if that was the story they were learning in school, it would make sense that my son would blame the devil. <laughs> right? Now, I want to talk to you today. We, we've been talking about being harmless with our words, being harmless with our speech, not just what we say about life or about other people, but specifically what we say to ourselves about ourselves, both externally, out loud, and internally, in the way we talk to ourselves about ourselves. That we want to try to cultivate a lifestyle where we're harmless with our words against ourselves and against other people. Because frankly, if you're harmful to someone else with your words, chances are they're going to be harmful back to you. <laughs> If you offend someone, they're going to get defensive and come back. So even that comes back to you in a harmful way. If you talk about someone else behind their back to someone else, and that person's probably thinking, I wonder what you say about me when I'm not around. So <laughs> it's still coming back to you in a negative way, in a harmful way. Does that make sense? Now, here's where I want to challenge some thoughts. Uh, if I say the word Satan in traditional Christian thinking and really age old Christian thinking. When you say the term Satan from a Christian, traditional Christian perspective, we treat that like it is the proper name that is given to the supreme evil spirit. <laughs> right? When you say Satan, you're meaning the, the head honcho, right? 
the, the head evil guy that everybody, that all the other evil minions answer to, like it's his proper name. Or if we say devil, we kind of use those terms interchangeably. And I'm bringing it up because, in case you didn't know, the serpent, later on in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, uh, the serpent is revealed to us as being uh, Satan, being the accuser of the brethren and being the devil, right? But we tend to use the term Satan like it's a proper name. So kind of the idea maybe we get is that demons are in hell. You know, I don't know. I'm just trying to call, figure out what the images are. The demons are in hell or they're in the realm of darkness or whatever. And here's this all supreme being up there. And it's all hail Satan like that's his name or something. But even though that's how it's embedded into our consciousness as Christians, it's absolutely not the way the Bible uses the term. Because, and, and let me help you with that. So let me give you some of the meanings. The, the, the meaning of the word Satan, actually, it's not a proper name. It's not a name at all. It's more like a job description. Uh, my name's Aaron, and I'm the pastor of this church. My name is not pastor. Right? So... While it's a proper name given to the supreme evil spirit in Christianity, it's not how the Bible uses the term. It actually, it simply means the word adversary or one who plots against another. So that in reality, um, God himself in parts of the Hebrew scriptures is described as a Satan. As an adversary. I'll give you an example. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Same word in the Hebrew. We don't translate it that way, because in our consciousness, Satan is the proper name that we give to the devil. Does that make sense to you? And the word devil, as a matter of fact, is also not used for a name, a proper name for a supreme being. The word devil simply means a false god, so it could be any false god. Uh, but it literally means to accuse, to slander, or to attack. So, Mike, if you'd pull up that picture of the, the tree of the knowledge, the, the tree. Yeah. I, I found this image of the Garden of Eden story, and I liked it because of the way the serpent is living in the tree, almost part of the tree. And you got to understand, from a Hebrew perspective, wisdom and knowledge are very important. Uh, it's used very, uh, they partner together in the book of Proverbs, right? It's the book of Proverbs. It's all about how to seek and acquire wisdom and knowledge. <laughs> and when the Bible says, in our translations, the serpent is the craftiest of God's creatures, it actually, in the Hebrew, it's a word where it's the root word for wisdom. So when she saw that the tree was good for food and desirable to make her wise. And so the temptation there is, is wisdom and knowledge. Now Eve misquotes God because she says, God told them, in the day you eat of that tree, you will die. And she actually misquotes it and says, God told us we cannot eat from it, neither can we touch it. But God didn't say anything about touching it. And here's why. Because if you back up into the first chapter of Genesis, you discover, and it's evident in nature also, but that God had created trees to bear fruit in order to put the seed of reproduction inside the fruit. So that every fruit reproduces after its own kind. So the seed of the orange, the life of the orange, the nature of the orange is in the orange. And when it gets planted, it reproduces another orange tree. Not the same orange tree, another orange tree. Right? Now think about this tree in this way, because God goes on later, I didn't keep reading, but he goes on later when he talks to the serpent, and he says, I will put a struggle, I will put a warfare, I will put enmity, the King James or New King James says, between you and the woman, and between her seed and your Seed, not between her seed and you, but between her seed and your seed. So the seed of the serpent, who is identified as the devil, who is identified as Satan, who's identified as the one who plots against, and identified as the one who slanders and accuses, 
his seed is in the tree. So that literally, when they ingest it, now a new serpent, a new devil, if you will, a new Satan, starts to reproduce. Does that make sense? And we see it so clearly in the story because they were always naked in the garden. (laughs) God put them in the garden naked and they felt no shame. And God looked back at creation and he said, it's all very good. So when they ate at the tree, something that God called good, they now began to call evil. Something about themselves that God called good, they began to call evil. And they began to judge and they began to try to hide. And then when God asks them what happened, they don't just simply say what happened. They start blame. They start shifting the blame. It's the woman that you gave. See the accuser? The woman that you gave to be with me. No, it wasn't me. It was the serpent. See, see, see how as soon as they ingested that fruit, immediately now there is a, there is a slanderer. There is an accuser. There is a devil that begins to speak through them. You see it? Because the greatest Satan that you and I will ever face, the greatest devil that we will ever face, is not an entity that is separate from our own creation. In other words, it's not an objective. I'm not denying the objective reality of evil, by the way. I believe in that. But we have a tendency, just like my five-year-old son to cause our own problems and rather than take responsibility for those problems so that we can learn from them, we project, we can't handle the burden of what we've created. We can't handle the burden of what we've caused through our own choices. So we create an objective outsider in order to shift the blame. To someone else, to shift the burden of the consequences over to someone else so that it's not really our fault. And that's really what the devil, the objective one, <laughs> wants in the first place. Because the moment we do that, we forfeit our power. The moment we do that, we put ourselves in the most powerless position we can possibly be. We make ourselves an effect. We put the power for our life outside of ourselves. And we make ourselves the effect of life rather than part of the cause. And we lose out on learning opportunities because we pass judgment. See, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents the fruit of of a judgmental lifestyle. And there's such a powerful lesson in here that we can see throughout the Bible. If you'll, if you'll allow yourself to see it, if you'll allow yourself to see it, the Bible will make more sense to you. You know, the hard parts of the Bible will make more sense to you than probably ever before. Because here's what Adam did. Adam really didn't blame the, the wife for the problem. He blamed God. Now, there's nowhere in the story that it says God's upset with them for eating at the fruit. And God did not say, in the day you eat of it, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) That's like me as a father saying, Josiah, if you play in the street, I'm going to run you over. I can tell him, don't play in the street. If you play in the street and get hit by a car, you're going to die. But I'm not necessarily the one driving the car. (laughs) Does that make sense to you? So it wasn't a punishment in that sense. It wasn't God was angry and God was coming in to punish him. God was coming to fellowship with him. That's the picture. He's coming in the cool of the day to walk with that. And he can't find him. So he's looking for him. Adam, where are you? He didn't, he didn't even say, what have you done? His questions weren't, what have you done until the very end? His first question is, where are you? His second question was, who told you you were naked? Because you're making a judgment based on a different voice. Because I put you in there naked and I said it was very good. Now you're ashamed and afraid. So you heard from another voice. So I need to know what voice you're listening to instead of my voice. And because I know that voice of the accuser, then I'm going to ask, did you eat of the tree? 
Because I know what that reproduces in you. So here's what we did. Watch this. Here's what, here's what humanity did. They ate at the tree of judgment themselves. And then projected that face onto God. I've judged myself as not good enough. I've judged myself as ashamed. I've judged myself as evil. Oh no, here comes God. I know he's thinking just like I'm thinking. So I have to hide myself. And so what you find in the Bible is this tension between the projections of the fallen mind. Let me say it this way. The projections of the judgmental mind placed onto God versus God trying to bring the revelation of his goodness back to Adam and Eve. God's not good. God knows in the day you eat of it, you're going to be like him and he doesn't want that. He's going to feel jealous. He doesn't want to share the power. He doesn't want to share the wisdom and the knowledge. So he's withholding from you and he has an ulterior motive. And they bought into that lie. And when they ingested that seed, they reproduced their own slanderer. They reproduced their own Satan. They reproduced their own adversary. They began to plot against themselves. And so now they're projecting onto God. So, so... You have this tension between this judgmental, angry God that we think we see in the Old Testament, and there is a picture of a judgmental, angry God in the Old Testament, but it is not a revelation of who he is. It is a revelation of the fallen mind of man when they put themselves at the center, eating at the tree of judgment. Because, see, you cannot accuse, you, you, you can't think that you're not good enough if you don't have something to compare it to. If you don't have a standard to first begin from, to say this is good, this is evil, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, and I'm over here in this bad category, I'm over here in this not good enough category. And so what happens to us is that as we are growing up and as we're walking through life, there's all these trees out there. Of, of good and evil, and we, can, we, and we ingest them. Your, your family had a tree of good and evil, what it meant to be a, a good boy or a bad boy. Your extended family had a tree of good and evil. At school, they had a tree of good and evil, what it meant to be a good student, what it meant to be a bad student, what it meant to be smart, what it meant to be dumb. Our politics, there are two great trees growing. One's called Democrat and the other one's called Republican. <laughs> Both judging the other, which one's right and which one's wrong, comparing. Trying to get you to eat from it and look at the fruit of that so that every election season we can see all the Satans <laughs> and all the devils so that we can stay divided instead of coming together to really try and solve pro real problems in this nation. And, you know, the church, God left that thing in the garden. <laughs> and so the church can center around judgment and right and wrong and good and evil. And they can give you those glasses and say, look, really, unfortunately, a lot of Christian leaders have been reading the scriptures through the judgmental mind of Adam and when they preach and teach you the scriptures, they hand you that set of glasses so that when you go back and read it, you read it through the same lenses. But I can promise you, if you take, I can promise you, if you take those lenses off, if you take those glasses off, you begin to see a completely different picture, begin to see a completely different picture that can empower you and can reveal to you not only the goodness of God, but, but who you are. So see, what Christ did, what Jesus did, was he came to reveal to us how good God really was. To show us once again the goodness of God. To show us that, that even if you falsely accuse me, even if you uh, abuse me and, and, and kill me and murder me in the most painful, torturous way possible, instead of exercising my right as 
the divine. Instead of exercising my right to call legions of angels, I am going to sit there and I'm going to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he said they know not, he was actually undoing on the tree of the cross what had been done at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what happens to us is that we end up eating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we give birth to all kinds of internal Satans and all kinds of internal devils. See, I could teach you to be harmless with your word as an agreement that you make with yourself. I'm going to do no harm against myself with the word. And you can hear that and you can apply that as an agreement that you're working on in a way that's very empowering and life-giving. Or you can choose to simply make that another standard that you didn't know existed of what it means to be a good believer or a bad believer or to be a good Christian or a bad Christian or what's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. And so you walk out of here. You didn't, you didn't know that standard before maybe. Maybe you didn't know you should be harmless with your words. Maybe you'd never read in the Bible, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And you walk out of here and all of a sudden now you're aware of it and you're aware of all the mean things you say. You're aware of all the mean internal talk and stuff that goes on inside of you. And so you walk out of here and say, and now you have a new standard to beat yourself up with. Oh, I'm not being impeccable with my word. Oh, I'm being judgmental. What a bad Christian I am. And now you're just using that to beat up on yourself. Or you could say, you know what, this isn't a rule. There's no punishment if I don't do this. This is just an agreement that I can make with myself to end my own personal hell. Because watch, let's look at the next image. That, that's kind of your traditional idea of hell, isn't it? The devil with the pitchfork and the fires. I mean, that's kind of what is out there, right? And we, again, often take something that is an internal reality for us and we project it out here and we put it off to when we die. And there's a lot of people, they don't have to die to go to hell. Because <laughs> they've got their own internal stuff going on all the time. So, so when you eat at that tree, now there's a devil with a pitchfork and there's fires in here. So that you don't believe me, uh, how'd you feel the last time you really messed up? How'd you feel the last time you really, I mean, may, okay, maybe I'm talking to the wrong group. Maybe I'm the only one in here that ever does a number on myself. Oh, I messed up. I really blew it. Or, and I just, and I'm telling you, there is a, I don't know about your inner world, but for me, there's the accusing voice followed by an inner stabbing and burning. <laughs> I'm just saying. So that we do a really darn good job of creating our own hell internally. Right? And you know, one of the worst ways we do this is by taking something personally. So now let's get to the next part of this. Who told you there was something wrong with you? If you want to create your own hell, I'm going to give you the way to do it. Number one, decide you're not going to be harmless with your own word. Decide you're going to be as slanderous and as mean and as hateful as you can possibly be to yourself internally. And you'll start creating your own hell. And the second way you can create your own hell is just decide everything that happens to you is about you. And you're going to take it personally. I'm going to take anything anybody says to me, anything anybody does is about me, and I'm going to take it personally. You're guaranteeing more suffering for yourself. <laughs> now, we already do this kind of naturally. <laughs> so the question becomes, how do we put out these fires? How do we end these devils and these demons and these, these satans that are really our own creations? Well, be harmless with your words. <laughs> and the next one, don't take anything personally. Don't take anything personally. Now, 
Let me give you some examples. If I walk up to you in the street and say, you are stupid. (laughs) Now, that's about me and my own personal hell that I've created. It has nothing to do with you. Yes? So you can decide that's about you and not about me. I mean, do you understand? I hope I'm not confusing you with my useful pronouns. If I say to you, you're stupid, you can decide that's about Aaron. That's not about me. Right? It depends on what you're already saying to yourself. It depends on what you've already agreed to about yourself. Now, if you've got an issue there, then perhaps you already believe you are stupid. And I walk up to you and say, you're stupid. And you say to yourself, how does he know? Is he, is he prophetic or can everybody see that I'm stupid? Because I've been covering it up and doing my best to try to hide it all these years. Can everyone see how stupid I am? So you only take it personally because you agree with it. And as soon as you agree with it, here's the thing. The poisonous venom of a serpent just went inside you. Like, like, like we, we, we contribute to each other's hell, right? So like, like if you think you're stupid, then you've got a stupid devil with a stupid pitchfork and a stupid fire. And every time you make what you think is an intellectual mistake, you fall back on that, I'm stupid, and you feel the pitchfork, and you feel the fire, and you, and you, and then you try to hide it, right? But then somebody comes and says, you're stupid, and it's like, ah, there it is, right? But all I did was shovel a few coals into your fire. You know, I took some hot coals from my own hell and said, here, let me, let me stoke your hell. Let me breathe on it for a little bit. Oh, whew, yeah, that's really hot. That's, oh, that's really getting me going. Well, you know what? You think I'm stupid. I think you're a jerk. How's he know I'm a jerk? And we're just shoveling the fires of hell back and forth into each other's lives with our diabolos. You see it? There's a different approach. There's a different approach that you can take where you are secure in yourself. Where you have made it a practice to actively love yourself. Where you have chosen to agree with the unconditional love that God has for you. And you've become comfortable in that place in your own inner environment. And when you do that, you begin to create an inner environment of heaven instead of an inner environment of hell. And when that happens, you're not, you're happy, you're peaceful. And so because you're listening to your voice more, the voice of your true self, the voice of your Christ self, if you will. You're listening to that voice more. So therefore you're peaceful, therefore you're happy, and you're not swayed by who told you you were naked. You're not swayed by all the other voices that are around you. See, it's possible to to be in a place where you attach more importance and significance to your own voice. And you trust the relationship that you have with God. And when I say by your own voice, I mean your true self, your true voice, your loving voice, your real self, not this false self or false selves that have been created because you've eaten at so many trees. Hey, I've eaten at the tree of what it means to be a good Christian. I've eaten at the tree of what it means to be a good American. I've eaten at the tree of what it means to be a good husband. I've eaten at the tree of what it means to be a good dad. I've eaten at the tree of what it means to be a good leader. I've eaten at the tree of what it means to be good financially, responsible responsible with your finances. And I'm going to tell you, I've messed up every single one of those things. Every single one. I couldn't live up to it. I mean, you know, as a pastor's kid, I mean, there's a verse in the Bible that says if you're a pastor or if you're a bishop or you're a leader, you've got to rule your own house well. Well, what happens if you have Josiah? Right? And I start attaching my personal importance. So now I'm eating at that tree, right? So now he's got to behave in order for me to feel secure in who I am. So what kind of pressure do I put on him to adapt and change to things that are created? 
A, a pastor's kid should not be in love with lizards because did you know in the Bible lizards are unclean animals? It's scriptural. It's in the Bible. They're unclean. They're evil animals. It's true. So we need to curb that love of lizards because we got to, I mean, I'm being silly, but do you see, you see how this thing works? See that all those different trees, and then you've got all this stuff going on inside you, and then people come along and confirm for you what you already believe. And you're in trouble. Make sense? If I were to walk up to Trent and say, I know you're wearing a new shirt. I just thought I'd let you know that shirt looks terrible on you. I mean, I don't know what you're thinking. Light complected and you're wearing white. It washes you out. And Paisley's went out in the 70s. <laughs> I think that's just a stand. Look, it's all faded. Would you, did you buy that at the Goodwill? <laughs> now, he could be, he could take offense to that. Right? He could take that personally. He could decide, who do you think you are? You're wearing rose-colored pants. I am not letting a guy who wears rose-colored pants lecture me about style. And he's atta- now he's attacking me. Now I've got to, what do you mean? The mannequin in the store was wearing them. And it was a guy. And here we go, getting our pitchforks out. Or Trent could be secure enough in himself, secure enough in his own likes and dislikes and his own decisions and his own choices. And he could say, you know what, Aaron? I'm glad you told me that. But you know what? I like this shirt. It's really comfortable. I like how it fits. And I happen to really like Paisley's, and I don't care if they're in style or out of style. So you know what? I'm going to wear this shirt a lot more. I just thought you'd like to know that. So get used to seeing me in it. But in order to do that, what does he have to do inside? What does he have to do internally? He has to be secure enough in who he is and he's got, to tr- he's got to trust his own self-expression enough that he's not going to agree with something outside of himself to tell him what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's right, what's wrong. And steps into the most empowered place. See, if he starts attacking me for my rose-colored pants, he's being defensive which means he's already agreed and he's trying to cover up or undo or he's feeling the burning sensation here so and feeling that pitchfork and so out comes the fire and out comes the pitchfork back at you because I want you to feel like I'm feeling. Because we're just really good as human beings at manifesting hell. And then we blame it on the devil. The devil made me do it. When we take things personally, we expect that other people know what goes on in our world. Or we try to impose our world onto their world. In my world, men do not wear rose-colored pants. Obviously, in my world, they do. <laughs> but Trent could be sitting there thinking that. And I'm going to impose my world on you. I think you're stupid. I think you're, you have no fashion sense. I think you're metrosexual. Metrosexual. Look it up. Just be careful when you Google anything sexual and the pastor didn't tell you to do it. (sighs) Jesus. See, the reality is when people say mean things or even do mean things to us, all they're doing is externalizing their own hell. They're just letting their devils come out to play. 
and they're spewing venom at us. And if you take it personally, you're drinking the poison so that you can increase your own suffering and your own hell, so you can stoke your own fires. And then when you take it personally, your reaction is to defend your beliefs, to justify it, to explain. Ever felt like you had to explain every decision in your life to somebody in your life? You realize that that very act of explaining is creating conflict? Listen, if you've got people in your life that you can't just be yourself and you can't just say, I'm going to do this because this, I'm going to wear this shirt because I like, I'm going to wear these pants because I like these pants. You think that's bad? You should see my socks. <laughs> Mary said, you're right. <laughs> uh, no, it's not flowers. It's more like a Tetris design or something. I almost bought a pair that had tacos on them, but I thought, no, I've been spending too much money lately. I don't have any idea where I was at or what point I was trying to make. Anyway, I don't have to explain my choice of fashion. Thank you, Mary. I don't have to explain why I'm wearing funky socks and... Rose-colored pants, because I just choose to. Because I like it. I don't have to explain it to Julie or Trent or anybody. And so if you've got people in your life that you can't be your true self with, that you can't just express yourself without having to explain it, you might need to rethink your relationships. Unless you want to just continue living in your own personal hell. I mean, you know, you could take the approach that people are interesting. That people are fun. That they don't have to conform to a certain standard in order for you to feel okay. Because that's really what it's about. If I can get them to do okay, then I'll feel okay. We've got all kinds of crazy weather stuff happening in our country. And if it hasn't started already, I promise you there's going to be people coming out saying this is the end of the world. This is, And then they're going to find somebody to blame. It's the homosexuals. It's, the, it's always the sex issue. It's never the gossipers or the warmongers or people who are ignoring the cries of the poor. It's always people doing stuff with their bodies they shouldn't be doing. I'm just being honest. And so here comes the wrath of God and all these hurricanes and fires and everything else that's going on. Story as old as time. Story as old as Adam and Eve. (laughs) Because we don't feel safe. How can we feel safe in a world that's so chaotic, right? And so if we can find somebody to blame and get them to do right, then all the hurricanes will stop. All the forest fires will end. Whether it's it's people who aren't doing right with their bodies or terrorists who don't think like us or if we can, or people that aren't the same, don't have the same skin color as us, or whatever the case may be, if we can just get them to do right, think right, be right, then we can be comfortable because we can be safe. Right? And all of that is about, I don't know what to do with this fire that's inside me, so I've got to push it out here. But I'm going to tell you something. You can, and this is where I'll close, you can begin to transform your devils into angels. You can begin to transform your fires, if you will, into clouds. (laughs) You can begin, you can stop today creating your own hell and start creating heaven inside yourself first. But you've got to put yourself first.
See, we're not taught that as Christians. We're taught, put everybody else first. But what happens to us when we put other people first and we're not okay with ourselves? I mean, God gave you you primarily. You are with you all the time. From the time you were born to the time you die, you're with you. You live with you more than anybody else. You talk to you more than you talk to God. You hear you more than you hear from God. So you are the steward of yourself. So if you're not taking care of yourself, and you're not nurturing the right kind of relationship with yourself, and you're not creating the kingdom of heaven between you and you, you can't have beautiful relationships with other people. You can't be productive and purposeful in life. You can't withstand the storms of other people's opinions or whatever because you're just you're swayed because because you haven't cultivated the love inside from yourself to yourself. God didn't just bring you here to receive his love. That's not why he brought you here. He brought you here to teach you and me. He brought us here to teach us how to love. And the first person, the first lesson, the first lesson is you learning to love you. Not just accept his love. It's not enough. It's not enough to say, I don't have to love myself. God loves me. That's not enough because you're not learning the lesson. And when you don't learn the lesson, you give away your power. And so all that fire is there is to teach you, I don't love me. All that relational conflict, all the taking things personally is there is to show you how much you're not. You haven't learned the first lesson for you to love yourself. Because until you stop creating your own personal hell. So you know how you do this? You have to realize when something happens to you and you're taking it personally and you're feeling that fire, you're feeling that sharp pain because of what somebody said or what somebody did to you. To stop, feel it, and say to yourself, I'm creating this. Not necessarily the circumstance, the feeling. I'm the only life this has is the life that I'm giving it. It's not in the event. It's in the meaning that I choose to give to the event that is causing the problem. It's not that Aaron told me my shirt sucks or that Trent told me I shouldn't wear rose-colored pants. It's that I care more about what he thinks than what I think. It's because I'm insecure in who I am and in the choices that I make. And so I have to stop and I have to feel it and I have to say, the only reality this has is the reality I'm giving it. See, if next time somebody says something to you and you take it personally, especially someone that's significant to you and you're tempted to take it personally and you want to react out of all that emotion, instead of reacting, if you'll just stop and feel it, and realize it's not in the event, you'll be able to step back from it and say, you know what, my relationship hasn't changed. Or maybe I just have too high of an expectation on the relationship. Maybe I'm not respecting the fact that Julie, even though we live together, Julie lives inside her own world and I live inside my own world. And maybe I'm expecting and demanding too much that she beam in my world. Is this making sense to you? That she know internally and what's going on with me, and I want to make her responsible for what's going on internally with me instead of owning it myself. And so I don't give her permission to have her own world. I don't even give her permission to realize she's got her own devils. And that when her pitchforks come out, it's not necessarily a definitive statement about our marriage. It's simply, she's dealing with her own devils. <laughs> and so I can sit back from that and I can say, it's not in the event. Nothing's really changed. She's having a bad day. 
She was being hormonal. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Whatever we tell ourselves as guys to cope. Come on, guys. Help me out. Men. <laughs> Get all these. Get all these. I'm being really tempted to take it personally, and I need some, I need some support. I can step back and say it's not in the event. The only life it has is the life I'm giving it. The only reality that it has is the reality I'm giving it. The only power that it has is the power that I'm giving it. And it's what they call in, in psychology a thought distortion. I'm distorting reality based on how I've created it on the inside. And then I can choose to feel it and realize that it's there. And it will pass. And when it passes, then and only then can I think more clearly about the situation before I respond to it or before I act. So I'll be honest, I'm one of these people that my own personal hell, my own fires would get so hot that people would say stuff to me. And the Tabasco sauce, that's the only way I know how to describe it. You ever like get into a, like a confrontation and it's just Tabasco sauce coming up and you feel it in your ears and pressure and and all my teaching goes out the window <laughs> and I forget about all my agreements and I forget about what might be smart even in that moment and bam out comes a pitchfork but see even in those moments even after those moments I've got to learn how to come back and regroup. I've got to learn how to be compassionate with myself and say, I didn't keep that agreement again. I wasn't impeccable with my word. I wasn't harmless with my word. I took it personally. I'm going to apologize for the way I responded. Because an apology really, and an apology is not, I'm sorry, but you did this. I'm sorry, but I was feeling this because you said this. That is not an apology. If there is you anywhere in the thing other than I'm sorry I hurt you, if, that's, if you use you in any other context, it is not an apology. It's something else. A real apology is ownership. See, you're claiming your power. I did that. I'm responsible for that. And I'm sorry for the way that my words affected you. End of story. And you can be in the most powerful position at that moment. Because you're owning it without condemnation, without guilt. You're owning yourself. And then that person says, well, thank you. And you walk away and think, well, what about what they did to me? <laughs> what about what they did to me? I can't believe they didn't apologize to me. I can't believe they didn't recognize what they did. How dare they? I apologize. I, I gave it a good apology. <laughs> and you just let go of that moment of power and put yourself back down in the coals and fires of hell. All right. Let's pray. Lord, I did my best, my very best this morning to deliver this. I pray that it came across in a way that is life-giving and helpful. I pray that anything that came across, Lord, that would cause confusion or anything other than life and heaven, that it would be forgotten, that it would just fall away. But that, Lord, which would be life-giving and empowering, that would bring the blessing of heaven, Lord, let it sit solidly inside our hearts. And I give you thanks for every single person that's here. In Jesus' name, amen.